Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. It's good to be here. How are you? You're still as good looking as last time. It's sort of better looking toward here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, my wife sends a greeting. We absolutely love the church, as you know, and uh, uh, she'll be here by herself, actually, in October next year. She's coming to the UK to do some ministry by herself. Uh, she couldn't come this time. I was just uh, invited over to do some things in Holland uh, starting on Monday, tomorrow, and I just thought I'd uh, take a week to meet up with some friends and preach in a couple of places. And I said to Mark, will you have me? And he goes, yeah. I said, great. I've made it better. I'll come now. <laughs> it's fantastic. I'll come all the way for, from Australia to do that. So it was great to be here. I honestly did not know that you were in the middle of a Kingdom of God series. And uh, because the message that I had prepared to bring to you was about the Kingdom of God. So I'm so delighted that I'm praying. <laughs> I'm so delighted that... Uh, we're on the same page, serving the same God. Amen. So greetings from Brisbane, where the sun always shines. Uh-huh. Where the beaches are the best in the world. Better than Spain and France. Yeah. And you know it's true, if you've been there. Most people come to Australia and never come back. <laughs> it's that good. So do visit us <laughs> sometime. We don't have time this morning to talk about the football. Liverpool, that is. Yes, we do. We have a few moments. No, we don't. <laughs> we can rub it in for a few moments anyway. I'm a Liverpool fan, so hip, hip, hooray. Um, too early to tell. But anyway, um, we'll see how we go with that. And we could talk about the cricket. That would be good, wouldn't it? No. We're not doing it. Let's talk about the rugby, shall we? No, we're not talking about the rugby. Right. Anyway, let's get on with it. Uh, there were three boys in a schoolyard. And uh, they were, you know, doing the whole, my dad's better than your dad, my dad's bigger than your dad, all that sort of stuff, right? And so one kid goes, hey, look, you know, my dad is better than your dad. I'll tell you what he does, right? He just, he just writes a few things on a piece of paper and he calls it a poem. And they give him 50 quid for it. Unbelievable. The other, the other uh, kid goes, ah, my dad's better than that. My dad's better than your dad. My dad writes a few things down on a piece of paper. He calls it a song. And they give him a hundred quid for it, like that. And the other kid's listening goes, yeah, nothing on my dad. My dad writes a few things on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon. And it takes eight people to collect all the money for him. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Sometimes they work. <laughs> Matthew 28, Jesus said in, in verse 18, he says, All authority has been given to me under heaven and on earth, both places, heaven and earth. All authority is his, make no mistake about it, on heaven, in, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, he said, go into all the world and disciple the nations, make disciples of all nations. I'm just wondering how we're going with that. That's my burden this morning. It's been my burden now for years, actually. And it's, uh, I feel like the Bunsen burner has just been ignited again for me to just to really press into that space. How are we doing discipling nations? Because personally, I don't think we're doing that well. Let me explain uh, as I build toward what I feel God wants us to say this morning. 
You see, I don't know, I've lost a little bit of touch with what's happening in the UK, but I can tell you what's happening in Australia. We have never had more mega churches than we have now in the history of Australia. We're a young nation, that is true, we're only 200 and something years old, but you know, we're home to the great denominations of Hillsong and C3 and other great Baptist churches as well, numbering 10,000 people on a Sunday morning. We've never had so many mega churches in the history of Australia, yet the people, the number of people that don't believe in God has increased exponentially. So in the last two census, we have moved from if 18 percentile wasn't enough. In other words, on a census, they indicated, despite the fact they had lots of options to choose from and even had a line called other, they still wrote or ticked the box, no religion, or wrote the word none or nuns. They're, they're the, new, the new believing group called the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S's. That used to um, represent 18% back in 2006. In the last census, it was thir- nearly 31% of Australians say they have no religion. There's 53% of Australians who say they believe in God or have a, a Christian or some sort of religious belief, yet our church attendance is less than 7% in our nation. So not even Christians like church anymore. Are you catching me? And that's 7%, by the way, as those that ticked a survey to say they go to church at least once a month. At least once a month, not twice or three, just once a month or more. That's 7% of our country. 15% is the category of people who say they go less than once a month. So what am I, what's my point? My point is, I don't think we're doing very well at changing our nation. We have never had so many mega churches, yet I don't think we're changing our nation. Can you see that? And this is a burden of mine and one that I want to speak into this morning because I believe that God is not caught by surprise. I believe that God has a plan. I've read the last part of the book. I'm on the winning side. So he has a plan doesn't he? But we are his church, so we've got to find what that plan is. You see, I don't think we're winning the battle for our culture. I think we're losing it. In Australia, we have just passed the the worst abortion laws in the world. Full-term termination without excuse, as long as two doctors sign off, right? Uh, we 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 are right now in the midst of our country debating over religious freedom, freedom of speech laws, which if it goes the way, the way it's been campaigned, I'm not sure I'll have a job. Within a year, if the goes keep on going the way it's going, right? Despite the fact that we have a Pentecostal, spirit-filled, born-again prime minister called Scott Morrison. He is, by the way. He's an AOG man. Has been for many, many years. And a Jewish treasurer. We've got a great combination at the top of the country. But how are we going with discipling our nation? You see, this is a burden because I believe that there's something missing in all of this. You see, other minority groups, other philosophies and other ideologies, including a smaller number of adherents to larger major religions, have strategically positioned themselves in places within our society and they are literally shaping the narrative of the country. They are literally shaping the culture and changing the society in which I am subject to live in. While we as the church are standing like guilty bystanders, not innocent bystanders, guilty bystanders being forced to march to their mantras. Are you hearing me this morning? Right? I know that's happening here as well. You see, you may be surprised or maybe you're not surprised to realize that in the history of Christendom, Large churches and large volumes of Christians have never successfully discipled a nation in Christendom. 
Now, some of your history buffs are going, well, what about them? What about what about them? Right? Uh, there's been times when we've had impact and we've made dramatic shifts, even for years and even for decades. But as we stand here today, there is not one example of where the nation was Christianized, was declared Christian, and remained so in 2,000 years. You may be surprised by that, but it's the truth. You see, there are spheres, there are areas of society that these people, insert here, you know who I'm talking about. There's a long list of people, by the way. Insert here, who who are influencing and shaping your world, whether you like it or not. And those people occupy certain areas. Some call them mountains, some call them spheres, some call them the gates of the city or the gates of the nation. Those areas are, some say there's seven, some say there's 27. Let's not get all caught up on sevens and thinking that's spiritual or 12 and thinking that's spiritual or the number of gates. Forget about that. But the the point is still the same. What are those areas? Arts, entertainment, media, education, Politics, economics, medicine, family, redefining family and sexuality, and religion. Religion is only one of those mountain spheres. I I personally feel more comfortable with domains, the term domains, uh, propagated by Abraham Kuyper. Those other ones are propagated by Bill Bright and Francis Schaeffer and many other great um, apostolic figures. But it's Abraham Kuyper, the great uh, Dutch theologian who became the prime minister of Holland, established a university and a newspaper. Great thinker. He's worth reading about, about him, Abraham Kuyper. He talked about domains. And I feel more comfortable with the word domains because of the word kingdom. Because the king has domains, right? King has domains. Every king has domains. Uh, that, that word... Um, Domain carries the idea of jurisdiction or realm is the idea behind it. A jurisdiction or a realm. And every king has domains that they rule over. The word kingdom comes from an old English slash German terminology around that. Let me ask you a question as we press into this subject this morning. Um, uh, Name for me an Islamic nation. Turn to the person beside you. Name to them an Islamic nation. And when you've done that, keep on going. Name another one. And another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. Okay, enough. Here's the point. When you've got to 45, when you've got to 45, you reach the current number, right? It's somewhere between 45 and 47, depending on what's going to happen next in a couple of nations, right? Now, let me ask you another question. Now, will you please name for me a Christian nation? Please don't say United States of America. Please don't, say the, don't, please don't say England or Scotland or Wales. Please don't say Australia. You see, not even Samoa. Fiji, Tonga, all these places that claim to be like that, they're not. Right? When I say this in terms of where you see the kingdom of God has come and they are living under the king's domain and it's evidenced in all of the spheres, you can't see that. In those nations. You see, we are 2.3 billion in number, as in terms of Christians of, of various varieties. Okay? We're a united mob. We have 40,000 denominations, Christian denominations. We, we love unity. <laughs> um, 2.3 billion Christians on planet Earth, only 1.8 billion 
Muslims. So that's, we're a half, you know, half a billion in front. 500 million is a lot of people, right? 500 million, right? Yet they have and they are discipling nations, yet we are, it appears to be, not. You see? And I'm still burdened by this command, this idea that we would uh, see nations discipled. Are you with me now? Let's look at one example, shall we? Let's look at Nigeria. Any Nigerians here this morning? May I just say before I enter into this little discussion for the next minute or so, <laughs> how much I love you. <laughs> I know you love me too, right? <laughs> and, how, and how much I want to thank you for being one of the most profound group of people on planet Earth right now. Uh, you are absolutely extraordinary how you have grappled with the gospel and overcome certain obstacles in order to be a group of people that are literally influencing the planet. You really are. The Redeemed Church of God is without a doubt the largest church movement on planet Earth. It really is. And they exist in 196 nations. In other words, they're everywhere. We're at 206 nations. They fall short on 10, probably 10 Islamic nations that won't let them in, right? But they are everywhere. Okay, And without going into any of that, um, if you were to uh, just Google into your phone um, the largest evangelical churches in the world, we'll just put in the largest evangelical auditoriums, we'll just put in largest auditoriums. Auditorium by definition meaning four walls and it has to have a roof on top, right? Because there are some churches who meet in open fields, even in Nigeria, that number a lot more than that. But the largest auditoriums in the world, the Google will reveal to you 15 of them, of which seven of them are in Nigeria, Seven of the 15 are in Nigeria. The biggest one seats 120,000, right? That is Salvation Ministries. The next one is Dunamis. It seats 100,000 people. That's bigger than the biggest football stadiums in our country and much bigger than your stadiums here as well. Think about it. Big stadiums full of people on Sundays. Um, Lakewood Church, which a lot of us will talk about, you know, would love to boast about and talk about Joel and Victoria Osteen having 50,000 people in church on a Sunday morning. They're... Actual auditorium seats 16,000 people, only 16,000 people, right? Okay. Uh, my point is that the, the, the Nigerians are the home to the largest churches in the world, okay? And they've spread throughout the world. Question, though, how are they going at discipling their nation? When Boko Haram is allowed to exist, when Sharia law is allowed to exist, when having huge environmental issues, waste management and sewage treatment are a big issue for Nigeria. Its agriculture cannot keep up with its population growth rate. Its GDP is 21st in the world, which is pretty good, but they rely upon $25 billion in remittances every year. Right? In other words, people who've left Nigeria to prop up Nigeria. That is true. Right? The population has doubled in 27 years. It is now 191 million people. If 95 million wasn't enough, it doubled to 191 million people. Its life expectancy is in the lowest 10 in the world at 53. 53 is the life expectancy of a Nigerian. 26% have access to good water and 23% still defecate in the open. And crime is horrific. And 70,000 children under the, age of, under the age of five die every year of curable diseases. So can you see my point? Now, that wasn't an anti-Nigeria campaign, right? Let's talk about Australia now. Let's talk about Ghana. Let's talk about the United States of America, right? The list goes on. Have you caught the point? Have I done enough with the introduction for you to grab the issue? Have I done enough to grab your attention? 
to, to burden you with prayer, to realize that we still have a task to do, that you would love your nation more, you know, and seek to see God's kingdom come to it. You see, only when his kingdom, his lordship, his values, his morals, his reign occupies those domains do we have any possibility of discipling nations. That's my theme this morning. I'm talking about our role in those domains. You see, uh, Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew 6 verse 12, apparently you did this recently, right? Our Father who is in heaven... Holy is your name, or hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, God wants to see his kingdom come to earth. Make no mistake about it. Why would he teach us to pray that if he wasn't going to answer it? If it wasn't his will? Why would he teach us to pray something contrary to his will? doesn't make any sense. Regardless of your ideology on kingdom now, kingdom future, right? He wants to see his kingdom come. Amen. And then we see the end of time, we see in Revelation 11 verse 15, we see that the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, Trinity, the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign. Not someone else, he shall reign forever. And in between the two ideas of kingdom come when he prayed that 2,000 years ago and kingdom future when we see it happen, in between that there's something important for us to understand is in Luke 17, 21, when he said the kingdom of God is in you, not out there, in you. The kingdom of God is inside of you. Turn to the person beside you and say the kingdom of God's inside of you. It's inside of you. So when we, so when we bear His kingdom, when we uh, consciously crave for His presence, carry His presence, cultivate His presence, and take it into every domain of society, then we see His kingdom come there. You see, that's when we see it. Uh, you know that when when Paul went from Athens to Corinth, Acts seventeen to Acts eighteen, he, he thought he wasn't doing so well. In Corinth, you know, he was rejected, he was criticized. Corinth was a horrible place, you see. And he had a little bit of success with Crispus and the leader of a synagogue. And, and he prays and God speaks to him in a dream by an angel and says to him, Paul, don't be afraid. I've got many people in this city. In the natural, it didn't look like that. I've got many. I want to tell you today, God has got many people in this city. What we need to do is wake up. To what he wants to do. He's got Christian doctors, Christian bankers, Christian lawyers, teachers, actors, singers, scientists, business people, entrepreneurs, tradespeople, and even mums and dads. And a few pastors that apparently are Christians still as well. We're everywhere. What we need to do is wake up to his kingdom. Amen. In Matthew 13, verse 33, there's a, a series of parables told by Jesus around what the kingdom of God is like. Now, it's Matthew speaking primarily to a Jewish audience, didn't want to always use the name of God, so he uses the word kingdom of heaven, right? So don't get confused between the two ideas. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, and he says this in Matthew 13, verse 33, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. You'll never, it's just rhymes, doesn't it? It's beautiful, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, in which a woman took and hid it in three measures of meal until, until all was leavened. I want to tell you this morning, God doesn't need more mega churches, nor in fact does he really need more churches. What he needs is more disciples. 
That's what he needs. What he needs is more kingdom carriers. What he needs is more people who are genuine Christ followers, not just church goers. Amen. And I'm hoping I'm talking to a group of them this morning. You see? And that they wake up to the idea that we need to impact every part of society. Let's consider for a few moments Joseph and Daniel, shall we? Now, to read the story, because we don't have any time, you need to read Genesis 39. Well, you know, most of the book of Genesis to catch the Genesis story about Joseph. But in particular, write down these verses, Genesis 39, 4 to 6, and Genesis 50, 18 to 21. Now, when you read that story, you see how Joseph finds favor in the sight of Pharaoh. It's unbelievable. Now, this is the young man who had the dream, who was a bit cocky and a bit irresponsible in the way that he shared his dream. And his, his dad and his brothers didn't like him for it. And his brothers sold him into slavery. You got the story? Right? And then he goes on this journey for seven, 13 years, 17 through to 30, 13 years of being imprisoned and beaten and uh, sold into slavery and wrongly criticized and all the rest of it. But still in all of that, listen to me, embraces kingdom. He was always a kingdom man. Right? Goes through all of this and finds himself at the right hand of Pharaoh. Unbelievable. Occupying the most amazing domain in society, in the known world. And it says in Genesis 39, it says, um, So Joseph found favor in his sight and he served him. Uh, In whose sight? Not God's sight, the Pharaoh's sight. And he served him. Did you watch that? It echoes Ephesians uh, Ephesians 5 and 6. That when you serve your secular boss, if you want to use that terminology, right, you're actually serving the Lord. Stop whinging about your boss and serve. Amen. Some people go, I don't want to do that. You don't know my boss. <laughs> no, but I know the king that rules over your life, though. I don't need to know your boss. Then he made him overseer over all of his house and all that he, put, all that he had he put under, under his authority. Under whose authority? Joseph's. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer over his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Wow. Because God had a plan, right? So he blesses the Egyptian because of Joseph. Amazing. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left Joseph over everything and he did not know about anything except for the bread on which he ate. That's how much authority Joseph had. And then we read Genesis 50. We don't have time. You see him encountering his dad and his brothers while he is distributing all of the food as they come in desperate need, starving to death with all of their family. And if, you were, if, you were, if, if, if I was Joseph and I, and I was giving into my carnal nature and my preferred personality, he could have just had them killed. Just like that. Think about it. I told you so. I told you this day was coming. I told you you'd bow down to me. I told you I'd be the boss and you'd serve me. Right? You didn't listen to me. You tried to sell me into slavery. You were a dropkick. You did this. You did that. You hated me. Now you're all going to die. Oh, that sounds so good. I just feel good even saying that. <laughs> oh, you ungodly pastor. <laughs> but he doesn't, does he? And he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To bring me to this day that many lives will be saved including yours. Do not be afraid, he says. I will look after you and feed all of your little ones. 
And then it says these words. I love it. It says, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Wow. That's a man who understands the kingdom of God. What about Daniel? It says in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Have a read of that sometime. It says, a pleased Darius has set him over the kingdom. And he puts 120 satraps. The word satraps is a bit unusual. It means princes. So he puts 120 princes over the whole realm. And then above the 120 princes, he puts three men that are called governors. The word there is the word, uh, the Hebrew word for emir. Actually, the word emir, where we get the word emirates, right? It means presidents. And he puts three presidents over the top of the 120, of which Daniel is one of the three. Isn't incredible? Then it says these words, right? Uh, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel... Distinguished, distinguished himself above the governors and above all of the satraps, right? Because an excellent spirit was in him. Wow. And then the king thought to give him authority over the entire realm. Wow. Oh, that we would be like that. You see, it's possible that God can use you in your domain more than you realize. What is your domain? Is it the family domain? You might say, well, I don't have a career. I don't work in the center of London. I don't do that stuff. Are you a mum? Are you a dad? You can redesign your whole community. We can begin to shape and redefine what it looks like for family in our, in our, in our street, in our village where we live, can't we? We can start there. You see, or oh, I'm just a plumber. No one's just to anything, by the way. I'm not just a pastor. I'm a child of God. I'm the son of the living God. I'm not just anything. You see? The least in the kingdom are still, you know, greater than John the Baptist. Think about it, friends. Right? We're sons of God. We're children of God. Lift your head up high. Poke your chest out where you are. I have to do that a lot. I'm small. Right? <laughs> Everyone I work for tends to be taller than me. Amen. We don't need more churches. We need more disciples. We need more people that are bearing the image of the Trinity. We're made in Imago Trinitas. Not just the, the image of Christ, Imagio Dei, Imagio Trinitas. If you understand the Trinity and the community and, and, and the, the dynamic of the Trinity, you begin to live differently. We're made in the image of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Plural, you see. But too many Christians have made God in their own image. And they serve a Trinity of self. Me, myself, and I. And we have to literally turn away from that. And begin to embrace kingdom again. You see, the early church understood something that we probably didn't quite fully understand. You know, in the first 300 years of Christendom, they grew from 12 disciples to 12% of the world. And their message had spread to 40% of the known global population at the time. 50% of the Roman Empire uh, was converted to Christianity, despite the fact they lost a million martyrs under Diocletian. Right? And it caused, and in the end, we saw the collapse of the Roman Empire. They did all of this without a church building. They did all of this without a denomination. Praise God. They did it quite often with very little funds. They did it with no technology. Right? Influenced the whole world. Because they understood some basic things. They were salt and light. They were kingdom bearers. They were ambassadors. They understood that they were leaven. Leaven. Remember that, leaven. God has positioned you strategically in places. See, you and God in your workplace makes you the majority. You see, when you are leaven, it makes you the most influential person in the room. Amen. You see, because leaven leavens the whole lump. I'm not into bakery or into cooking much around, and I don't understand much about leaven. All I know is that it's very, very powerful. 
right? A little bit of leaven was hidden in three measures of meal until it leavened the whole lump, you see? That's what God has done with you. He's taken you and positioned you somewhere, and that leaven is powerful. If you act like leaven, if you act like a churchgoer, you're not leaven. But if you act like kingdom people, you are leaven. Do you understand that? That's his design. The kingdom of God is like, he didn't say the church goers are like. He said, no, the kingdom of God is like a woman who had leaven. You see, we need to live a little bit more like leaven. Let's land this thing down before we run out of time. Three ideas for you. The first idea is this. The first one is this. We don't rule over, we reign in life. We are not called to dominate, coerce, or force anyone into anything. We're not called to Bible bash and be the most opinionated people in the room with an arrogant stance. That's not us. Or to push our piety onto other people. That's not who we're called. We're, meant to, we're not called to rule over, but to reign in life like leaven. We are there and we have an impact. You know that Romans 5 verse 17 Verse, you may have covered it in your series already. For if by the trespass of the one man, that's speaking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ? Please notice, this is how we reign. Grace and righteousness. This is how we reign. You should be the most gracious people in the room and you should be the most righteous people in the room. Friends, make it an occupation to be praying around that. Wherever you are situated, you reign in life. And I'm telling you, I guarantee you, when you operate from grace and righteousness, you will be leaven right where you are. Amen. Amen. Uh, his rule is not, coerce, uh, is not coercion or power. His rule is love. We sang about it this morning. That's his rule. He rules with love and a scepter of righteousness. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has translated us or conveyed us over into the kingdom of the son of his love. You see, it's powerful. His kingdom is really about love. Love, the last time I checked, is still the most powerful force on planet earth. For God so loved the world that he instigated redemption for it. Think about it. It's amazing. In Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, right? And then it says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, etc. You come down to verse 28, it's repeated again. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. Friends, within our DNA, we are called to be kingdom influencers. It's in our DNA. right? This is Genesis 1 we're talking about here. From the very, very beginning, that's within, as Mel Fletcher says, it's within our hard wiring. But please understand the context and the word dominion that is used there. It does not talk about arbitrary power, nor does it talk about uh, uh, having... Uh, Uh, coercing people or lording it over people. That's not the context of the word dominion there, right? It it definitely talks about, and this idea of free grace, covenantal love, and stewardship. Stewardship. And I want to embed that thought with you this morning. Stewardship. You see, Adam really was the first king, if you want to talk about that. 
He was the first man who was given a domain to rule over. It was called a garden. Right? He was ruling over that. And what we have here is a a typology, a, a blueprint for every kingdom and a blueprint for man in the ideal and the perfect plan of God. This is Adam, the, perf- the first perfect man. You with me? You want to talk about what God should, what it should look like for you or what a kingdom should look like? Here is a man who is a king, who has a domain, but he is totally and thoroughly submitted to the lordship of God. And in that, he was caused to thrive. Now, I know some of you are going, I'm not sure I get this stuff. Right, But I pray that you would grapple with this and look into this further in your own personal studies, that God wants you to reign where you are. And how you do that is bringing your life consistently and constantly under the domain of the king in your life. And then you see his grace, his wisdom, his righteousness, his truth come to bear in your world. You see, this covenant that God gave to Adam was repeated in full, or in part in every other successive covenant to some degree. God has always designed us to have some level of reign in life. He wants you to reign in life. Turn to the person beside you and say, God wants you to reign in life. Do that right now. Here's the second idea. We've got five minutes. Here's the second idea. Second idea is this. We are stewards, not owners. We are trustees, not masters. He's the master. You're not the master. You're not the master of your own destiny. I don't care what good book you're reading or what, or what movie you've read. You're not the master of your own destiny. You're not. We have been entrusted with and given many special promises. Everything you have in your life, you have because it's a gift from God. Even the very oxygen you breathe. As I said to the man yesterday, even creation is an act of grace. God did not need to create the world. He was and is and is to come. Before the world was created, he was God. He didn't need you and me. Your lecturer at university will tell you that. God needs nobody. He chooses to be in relationship with us. So he creates something. It's amazing. Everything we have is an act of grace. Everything. Right? Therefore, therefore, it's not my money. It's not my time, my career, my dreams, my gifts, my rights, my plans, my ministry, my calling, my kingdom. We need to lose that me, myself, I paradigm that we have so often appearing in our prayers, in our conversations. Friends, it's not my gifts, it's the gifts that God gave to me. It's not my money, it's the money that he's made me steward over. A gift is meant to be given away, not hung on to. Think about it. It's It's not my time, it's his time that he gave to me. It's not my life, he can take it away. So we need to be stewards, not owners of the things that we have. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness and the world and all those who dwell in it are all his. Everybody, it's his. I believe we need to be a little bit more like Saul and ask the question, Lord, who are you and what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Amen. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and he put him into the garden to keep it. In other words, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, 
Adam was a steward of something. It wasn't his. It was God's garden. It never says Adam's garden. God made a garden and put him in it and said, now look after it. Tend it, keep it, look after it. Stewardship. That's, that's the original man. And that plan is, that design has not changed. Friends, let me ask you, how are you going with your stewardship? Of all the stuff that you have. When was the last time you actually asked God what you would have him to do with your stuff that he has given to you? And here's the final point as we draw to a close. Work, number three, work is worship. This is an interesting, interesting concept, you see. I believe in the ordination of all vocations. I believe that every member of the church is a minister for God. Amen. I believe we're hands and feet, the body of Christ. Everyone, every member is a minister. I believe that. Do you believe that? You know, in, in Scripture, there's a word, ovodah. Some say ovoda, right? A-V-O-D-A-H. Are you recognize that word at all? It's a Hebrew word, ovodah or ovoda. It comes from a root word, avad, A-V-A-D. And that word is, con- is used 289, 289 times in the Old Testament, right? And when it's used, it is translated with, in, in, in our English, in our weak English language, it's translated three words. Number one, service. So avad or avoda or ovadah could be service. It's also translated work whenever you see the word work. And here's a surprising one. It's exactly the same word in the Hebrew for worship. Isn't that surprising? It's good when you do word studies, isn't it? You see? So work is worship. And, that's, and, and Paul understood this as a Jew. He understood this, right? In Romans 12, verse 1, he says to you, Therefore I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, which is your... Right? Because you're reading the NIV or the New King James. What are you reading there, Deborah? Reasonable service. Because depending on what version you read, it says reasonable service interchangeably. Another version says, which is your spiritual worship. You see, and it's translated both ways by different English translators because of this power of this word and this concept. It's not two separate testaments. It's all just one story, by the way. Don't become so New Testament obsessed. Read it as the Bible, as the narrative. And then you'll discover Jesus all the way through it. You see? So work is worship. Friends, your work is worship. Serving unto the Lord. Therefore, how important, how important is this message this morning? about your domain in which God has positioned you. It is not just a job. God has positioned you there. Why? Because he wants to see his kingdom come to your domain, to your office, to your school, to your uni, to your workplace, wherever it might be. And when we start to live out that concept, we will see his kingdom come. It won't just be about large churches. That will be the result of. Are you hearing me? That will be the result of, that will be the overflow of that. But friends, we will never see our nations discipled unless we rediscover this and live for it with all of our heart. Amen? Amen. I hope that stirred your heart this morning. Our time is done. God bless you. Amen.